Good morning. And it is exciting to be with you guys here today. My name is Daniel Stevanis. I work with our student ministry. And it always, always, always is a privilege whenever I get a chance to, first of all, share God's word. And second of all, be able to share with you guys. Um, it is just such a joy for me to be here today. And so hopefully as we look at God's word today, we will uh, be challenged and learn some stuff and uh, know how to approach this, this season that we're in. Um, I was here this um, for Christmas Eve, like most of you guys were, and I really believe that was just a phenomenal time that we had here. I had the, the privilege this year of doing something a little bit different um, with the, the painter who came and, and did an incredible job. They needed someone to kind of be with him and help move him around and show him where to go and where to be. And so I was here for all five services, and I had to take him from this building to over there and rush him back. And people wanted to talk to him and take pictures. We're like, no, we got to go. Um, and so we went back and forth a little bit. But I really had such a, an incredible opportunity to see the, um, uh, the Christmas our, our program from a different perspective and to see all that God was doing, not just numerically in the people who were here, but truly in moving in people's hearts and, and in touching them. And so it was just an incredible uh, time together. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And, uh, and hopefully as we continue this new year, move forward, um, God's got more and more incredible things for us in store. Um, if if you're, you're here now, you know obviously Christmas has ended, and whenever it comes time for Christmas, this is always kind of this, this time where we have to figure out what to do with Christmas decorations. Um, I don't know what you, what, what you were like, but everyone who decorates for Christmas falls in a couple of different categories, and the first category is what I like to think of as the normal category, and that is the people who decorate after Thanksgiving. Do we have anyone who decorates for Christmas after Thanksgiving? Okay, I think you're, you're, you're in pretty good company. You're just, it's like the normal category. You, after Thanksgiving's done, what's next? Christmas, let's decorate. Um, I have a friend who, who waits for like midnight of Thanksgiving to take out at least like one ornament or one box of Christmas things. I don't think we have to be that legalistic, um, but I can appreciate that. There's another group, and, and you might have to be a little bolder to, to admit this, but that's the group that, that you start to decorate um, maybe even a little before Thanksgiving. Is there some people like that? <laughs> Before Thanksgiving, now listen, this is a judgment-free zone, okay? You can, do, you can do whatever you'd like. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. When November starts, and we haven't even talked about our Thanksgiving dinner yet, it's a little strange to be looking at Christmas ornaments, okay? But, but, but listen, you can, do, you can do whatever you'd like, all right? Because you see, there's also a third category. <clears throat> In the third category, you may have to be even bolder to raise your hand, but I'm, I'm going to raise it too. This is the category that I'm in. And that's the people who wait way, 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 way too late to set up for Christmas, usually around the 23rd or the 24th. Is, is there anyone in that category? There we go. Hey, I have some friends in the room. Thank you. I don't know what it is. I think it's my personality being laid back. Maybe it's because of my grandparents. I actually remember driving one Christmas to Ohio to go see my grandparents. We drove on Christmas Eve, and we got there sometime at like 12 o'clock, which at that point is actually Christmas Day. But we got there. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. We got there late, late, late Christmas Eve, 12, 12.30 at night, and they were putting the finishing touches on the tree that they had just got that morning. So I don't know if it's like hereditary or if it's just the way my family was brought up. But this year, and, and it's crazy because all I have to do, I, don't, I, I mean, I live by myself. I don't have a big giant tree. I, I have a fake tree. It's only about this tall. I set it on a table. The lights are already strung on this tree. And, and I only own like six, somewhere between six and eight ornaments. So I mean, really like, you know, taking the tree out and setting it up, I'm already like halfway done. And yet for some reason, I, I waited till the 23rd. But I like to think at least I got it up. At least I was able to set it up in time for Christmas. But the real question, though, comes to taking, the, taking it back down. 
What does it look like for us to take down our, our decorations, our trees, our ornaments? Now, if you, if you decorate outside of your house, I mean, you kind of have to, and your neighbors will start to think you're crazy. But if it's inside and you don't have people come over very often, uh, if I can confess to you, there was two years ago, this is probably why I didn't decorate last year, because two years ago I got a real tree. I didn't wait until March to take it back down. <laughs> I mean, it was like the needles were like old and, die, and like dying. I was more afraid of like a house fire than anything else. And so I, I took the tree out back and, and burned it. But the truth is this, whenever we, we set up for something, whenever we get excited about something, whenever we're kind of looking forward towards something, we reach this point, we reach this moment, we reach this, this, this kind of climax of something to where then what happens after that is a little more difficult. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we work so hard to, to anticipate certain things that then after it happens, if we're honest, we're left almost like a little like, now what? Have a little bit of this empty feeling, a little bit of this feeling of like, man, I'm not really sure what to do right now. I'm not really sure how to progress forward. Now, if you're a big box store, it's easy. You just get ready for the next holiday. You know, in, in the summertime, they're already getting ready for back to school. And once school starts, they're already looking at Halloween. And once Halloween passes, they're already looking at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, and I mean, they're probably already setting up for Easter in the summer. But for people, for us, as we think about what's coming next, as we think about what's the next thing, it's a little bit different. You see, you can get prepared, you can get amped up, you can be so excited about something that, and move towards that that then you just kind of get to a point where you're like, what do I do now? And you see, we've spent so much time this month talking about Advent, talking about, man, Christmas is coming, Christmas is going to be here, let's get ready, let's prepare ourselves, let's remember what this is all about. Let's think about the fact that our, our Savior is about to, we're about to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We're about to celebrate the fact that God sent his own son, God incarnate, into the likeness of a baby to, to be born in a manger, to live a life so that eventually he could offer us forgiveness of our sins. And we've spent all these weeks preparing and talking about this and talking about the nativity scene and talking about getting ready and talking about gearing up and, and, and culminating in, in an incredible Christmas Eve service and, and hopefully some, some, some good Christmas day time with family with food, with friends, with football, all the important things. And how we find ourselves after that, and it's like, wow, now what? Now, I know we got New Year's Eve coming up, and then we'll be thinking about that and, and what's next. But what do we do in the in-between? What do we do in this time where we've been so focused, so, so getting ready, so moving towards something, and now it's happened? And now what? And we ask ourselves this question, now what? What do we do? You see, Advent means the coming, and we've been preparing, we've been talking, we've been looking, we've been gearing up, and it has come, and it has happened. And so we ask ourselves this question, and now what? Now, this is exactly what, what happens with, with the disciples. You see, the disciples are going to go through what we're going to look at today, a story where they've been gearing up, and they've been preparing, and they've been thinking, and they've been working towards a goal. And once that goal kind of seems to come and go, they're left with this question, and now what? And as we look at this and answer this, hopefully we will be encouraged in our walk and know what to do in our lives in this season. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we're going to be looking at kind of the whole, uh, whole first part of the chapter. We'll put some of the verses towards the end up on the screen. But Acts chapter 1, I want to give you guys a little bit of context, a little bit of, of culture of, of where we find ourselves or where we're at. The, the characters in the story are going to be Jesus, the disciples, and we're going to see some angels because it's Christmas. There's always angels at Christmas time. And so we're going to see the story unfold. The disciples who have been following Jesus reach this point with him where they have a conversation and they're trying to figure out what's next for them. 
And Jesus answers them and shows them and gives them some stuff very similar to us in our situation, what we would think and experience. But he doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't just leave us there. He gives us vision for what is to come. He gives a vision for what we should be doing and expecting and looking towards. And so we start out in Acts chapter 1, looking at verse 1. This is uh, Luke writing this book. And he says in his first book, which was the Gospel of Luke, written to Theophilus, he says, in the first book, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And verse 4 says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you had heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and not many days from now. You see, this is the setting. Luke says, in my first book, I wanted to tell you all about what Jesus did and what Jesus taught, about his miracles, about his messages, about his interactions with other people, about how he conducted his life on earth. And he goes, and then we're going to get to this point, and he's, he's starting to tell him this is what this next book is going to be about. He goes, I'm going to talk all the way up to the point where Jesus then leaves and promises the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't say it like that. He says, for, for John baptized with water, but someone, is coming who will, uh, but someone is coming who will be baptizing by the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the Spirit of God coming down, being on people. And so here, as he's preparing to what the book of Acts is going to be about, he's saying the whole book is going to start to look and shift. We've been talking about Jesus up until this point. Now we're going to start to look at what happens after Jesus, the mission of God as it happens on earth. And so he's preparing the reader. He's preparing us for what's to come. And so when we get to verse 6, it says this. When they had come together, it's talking about the disciples and Jesus. When they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, Jesus, at this point, as we just read, has spent his whole life um, growing up. Scripture says growing in stature and wisdom and maturity, uh, starting to do the will of the Father. Entering his three years of ministry where he's discipling the apostles, the disciples. He's spending time with them. He's teaching them. He's training them. And, and then he gets to this point where, where, where he, most people say they, they expected, they were waiting for something. They're waiting for Jesus to come and do something incredible. They're waiting for Jesus to come and, and free them. When it says here, you coming at this point to restore the kingdom of Israel, the, the Israelites were waiting for a savior. And the reason you would be waiting for a savior is because you're waiting for someone to save you from something. And the people of Israel, this was their greatest question. This was the biggest thing on their mind that for years now, ever since they had entered the promised land and had problem kicking people out, they were expecting the savior to come and to help them. As they went into exile and they were oppressed by other peoples, they were waiting for the savior to come to rescue them. As they were part of the Roman empire, they were waiting for the savior to come and to rescue them. And the biggest question on their mind, the biggest thing that, that they had right now, that they were waiting for right now, was for the Savior to come and to rescue them. Now, it's interesting because people always say that the Israelites were waiting for Jesus to come, kind of like this guns a-blazing, knocking down doors and overthrowing the government. And instead, Jesus, we know from what we saw with the Christmas story, came kind of in an opposite model. He came as a baby in a manger, in, in, in kind of these, this humble beginning. 
And even as he goes through his life and he starts to teach and he starts to perform miracles, he's doing everything very different than what they expected, very opposite. And I love the disciples because the disciples, out of anyone, had a little bit more patience. You know, in times where they wanted to make Jesus king and he would say things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they're like, what? They were confused, but the disciples hung with him. The disciples understood better than anyone else. There's something different about Jesus. We need to stay with him. And I could just imagine as they were following him, as they were trying to listen to him, they were trying to be patient. They go through the whole death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus, it says, has returned now in bodily form for about 40 days, performing signs and miracles to them. And I think that they're all thinking the same thing. At what point is Jesus going to do something incredible? At what point is he going to restore the kingdom of Israel? At what point is it time for us to take back what's rightfully ours? They've been waiting this whole time. And so they ask him this question. And in verse 7 it says, Jesus, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is very typical, too. The disciples ask Jesus a question, and he says, basically, don't worry about that. Let me give you something else. They're all interested in the timing of this. Jesus, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He says, you don't need to know the time. You don't need to know the seasons. Instead, what you need to know is that you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on to you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when you read through the book of Acts, that's actually what happens. They, you see the, the, the disciples go out and become his witnesses in all these different places. And the gospel message spreading. They're so concerned, the disciples, with the timing of everything. And again, they've been more patient than other people, but they're kind of like, Jesus, what's going on? What is your, your plan? When are we going to start to see some action? And he says, don't be concerned with the time. Instead, be concerned with the mission. He says, I want you to understand what's coming next. He goes, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they didn't understand what the Holy Spirit meant. They didn't totally get what this even meant. He says, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be a witness for me in all these different places. Now, let me just do a quick aside for a second, because so many of us think that, man, when we, if we could be with Jesus, if we could see Jesus, if we could spend time with Jesus, Jesus says, if I leave, you're going to get a gift, the Holy Spirit. You see, for, for Jesus, having the Holy Spirit inside of us does give us access to Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit is inside of us that we're able to, to pray to him, that we're able to, to look to him for power, to be able to be his witnesses, to be able to share the gospel message wherever we go. And he says, it's important that you receive this. It's important that you get this. Don't be worried about the, the, the time in which I'm going to fulfill what I've said. Worry about the fact that I will fulfill that, what I said, that there is a mission that is taking place. And then we move to verse... Nine, it says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went and behold, two men stood by them in robes saying, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So as they're talking as they're conversing with Jesus, they say, Jesus, is this the time in which you're going to do what you said you were going to do? And he says, don't be concerned about the time. Be concerned about the mission. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to help you. As he's having this conversation, he starts to ascend into heaven. And literally, it says that they stood there and they just watched. And they saw him go up. 
Now, commentators think that the imagery that's used here, it's really powerful because it talks about a cloud taking him in. In the Old Testament, whenever there was a cloud, it was representative of the presence of God. So Jesus is returning to be with the Father. He's returning into heaven. He's returning to God. When the Old Testament people had the tabernacle, when the, the cloud was on there, Moses would enter. He, people knew he was meeting with God. When the cloud des, uh, descended and came down, they knew the Spirit of God was there. In this moment, kind of this majestic, poetic way, Jesus is returning, going back up to the Father. And what's interesting is the disciples kind of look up. And we get some clues here in the text that maybe that they were looking. And they were looking. And they were staring. And they kept on staring. Because suddenly it says these two men dressed like angels came by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? Now, I get this. We, we tend to want to look at stuff like this. If something crazy happens, our, our, our impulse is to watch. It's to look. It's to see. That's why when there's a car accident, what happens? <laughs> Everyone wants to watch. Everyone wants to see. Oh, there's uh, two ambulances, one police. Oh, two cop cars. Oh, that one's undercover. Is that the one who pulled me over the other day? You know, you could be all the way on the other side. There's traffic backed up on this side because everyone is slowing down to look over there to see what happened. But people want to be involved. They want to tell a story. It's like there was a car accident. You come outside. You're like, I was at home. I was washing a dish. And you got to tell the story over and over again. Everyone wants to hear what was going on. What were you doing when it happened? Well, I was over there. Well, I was in my backyard. I heard a bang. You heard a bang. I heard two bangs. It's like we, we all want to be involved. We all want to see what's going on. And for the disciples to see Jesus go and take it up into heaven into a cloud, into the presence of God. We kind of get this idea that they were staring, they were watching, they were seeing what was going on. It says in, in verse 11, the man in white robes, the angel stood next to him and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up into heaven will come in the same way in which you have seen him go. The idea here is kind of this idea of urgency. Because of what we've just seen in, in verse 8, when they asked him, Jesus, when are you coming back? He said, don't worry about when I'm coming back. Worry about the mission at hand. Be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on to you in Jerusalem, Judea, all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He says, what's important is the mission. And so when the angel comes, he says, what are you guys doing here standing at the sky? Just as Jesus left the sky, he will one day return to the sky. What the angels are saying is there's a mission. There's something that needs to take place. There's something that needs to happen. We've been waiting for this moment, and there's work to be done. You know, it's easy for us, whenever we, we talk about Scripture, to look at the people in the Bible, to look at the Israelites, to look at the, the, the disciples, and to say, man, that why didn't they get it? Why didn't they understand? You see, we have this complete view of the Bible. We see the beginning, we see the middle, we see the end. But, but imagine for a second if you were there. You had spent your whole life waiting for this, hearing about this Messiah, this Savior, and you're one of the few that was chosen to go with Jesus, to follow him, to be with him. You had put your faith, you had put your three years of your life in following him, listening and being discipled by him, being groomed by him. Maybe even the time when Jesus died, you were devastated. You weren't sure. You're like, I thought this was the Messiah. And then three days later, he comes back to life. And you're pumped. You're like, yes, I knew it. I knew it was true. And for 40 days, you continue to see him perform miracles. You continue to see him do work. You continue to see him on earth. And finally, you work up enough courage to say, Jesus, when is this happening? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And his response to you was, don't worry about the time. Worry about the mission. And he gets taken up into heaven just like that. 
You see, the truth is this. In the words that are spoken here to the disciples, in the words that, in this story, that what happens to the disciples, there's stuff for us to glean from. There's stuff for us that can affect our daily walk. And so I want to look at this story now from a second time as from the perspective of us. As, as people who, who, if we had been there, or, or what does this mean for us today? And so when we start in verse 6, when they said, Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I want us to think about this for a second. Now, most of us are not thinking about the kingdom of Israel. But just as the angel says, he says, Jesus went up into the sky. And he's going to return from the sky. He's talking about his second coming. I wonder, do we ever think about Jesus' second coming? Do we ever think about his return? You see, the Israelites, all they could think about was the Savior that was going to come, the Savior that was going to come. And they had a good reason to. I mean, they were oppressed. They were treated uh, not, not kindly. They had been promised their whole lives to be a special people, a special people group, a special nation. And yet they were oppressed. And so they had waited and waited and waited for this Savior, for this Messiah to come and to free them. And so they always thought about this. It, 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 it happened in their, in their way of thinking, in their way of talking. It transpired everything about them that they're processing this. But I wonder for us, do we think about the second coming of Christ? Or is it one of those things that we're just kind of like, yeah, it's, it's like a byproduct of what we're doing. You see, if I can be honest with you guys, I remember when I was in college, I, I spoke to my RA. He was the, the leader for my, for my dorm. It was a Christian Bible college, and so we would have a lot of spiritual conversations. And I remember talking with him, and I, and I confessed to him one time. I said, if i got to be honest with you, I said, if I can just be real with you for a second, the truth is, I said, I don't necessarily look forward to going to heaven. He was like, you know, his eyes were like, you know, super big. He said, wait, what? I said, I want to be honest with you. I said, I, I don't know that I look forward to going to heaven. And I continued to explain to him, I said, the truth is, I, I love my life. I love what I'm doing here. I love my friends. I love my family. I love the school, what I'm studying, what I want to do, the work, the job, all of this stuff. Because I love these things. I said, the Bible doesn't talk a whole lot about heaven. It doesn't give a whole lot of specifics. I said, but, but I'm enjoying life here and now. And he kind of chuckled, and we had this long conversation. And essentially what he said to me was, you need to live a little bit. You see, up until this point, I hadn't experienced anything negative in my life. I mean, I, I lived such an incredible life. God provided every need for our family. We traveled from Italy to the United States. I, I grew up in a different culture, came back, and, and, and I had a lot of friends. I was outgoing. I was sociable. You see, I had to live a little bit longer to go through some sickness, to go through some conflict, to go through some tough times. To go through some days where I didn't know how I was going to pay for some bills or to, to find myself in a situation where I didn't have the answer for everything. I needed to live through some days to, so that when, when we read in Revelation 21.4, and it says that, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain or, or anything because the former things are passed away. I needed to reach a point where I knew what that meant. I needed to see pain in the world. I needed to see some people have difficult days at work with coworkers. I needed to see people struggle with understanding family and understanding their upbringing and understanding their past. I needed to see people struggling with, with some addictions and with sin. You see, we have to understand some of the negative to be able to look to the positive, to be able to look to the hope that heaven brings. There'll be no mourning. No more tears. The tears are wiped away from their eyes because God is caring for the needs of everyone because God is right there, right beside us, bringing order and perfection back into the world how he originally intended it. 
I needed to live a little bit to start to think, man, as good as I might have it or as cool as life might seem, as much as I might like gadgets and technology and the fun that we get to have this side of heaven, the truth is that a world without God, a world without a relationship with him is nothing. I had to reach a point where I saw the mission as the most important thing. God, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of heaven? God, is this the time when you're going to come back? I needed to reach a point where I was excited about Christ's return. And I ask this to us today. Are we excited? Do we think about Christ's second returning? Do we think about the time when he's going to come back and fix everything, when he's going to come back and create perfection back into the world? The other thing that, that we see here is that when the disciples ask him, they say, is, and, and he responds to them, it's not the time, it's not the season. You don't need to know those things. I've taken care of all that. The truth is that we don't need to know that time that Jesus is talking about. We don't know when it's going to happen. And we don't need to know because Jesus wants us to stay ready for whenever that time is. I have a confession, another one to make for you guys. This is just like I'm going to tell you guys everything today. But one of the types of music I like, I like to listen to is Christian rap music. I know some people think that's an oxymoron. My parents have already told me it's not really music. Okay, if it's rap, it's not music. I get it. I understand. But there's this Christian rapper who has a line that has, I heard one time and has always stuck with me that I think is incredible. And in one of his songs, he's talking and he's talking about our walk with God. And he has a simple line. He says, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And I know it's not grammatically correct, probably. But the truth is this. If we're prepared for whatever's going to come, then it doesn't matter when it's going to happen because we're prepared. You know, I experienced this on a small scale. I was living in Long Island, New York. Um, I forget what, what year it was, um, when, but when Hurricane Sandy hit. And I remember when Hurricane Sandy hit, I had, it was actually it was in South Carolina for a wedding. I flew back on a Sunday. I was like one of the last flights that made it into the airport that day. I drove home and, and some friends said, hey, listen, this, this, like, this hurricane's coming. Like, we're going to probably lose power. It's going to be crazy. And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, are you prepared? I was like, prepared? Yeah, I'm prepared. What does that mean? Well, my friend invited me to come to their house because their dad was, was a little bit of, of a prepper. And it was one of those people that had extra gasoline and, and canned food stored aside and water and two generators, one that worked off gas and one that worked off propane. And, and they were ready. In fact, when, 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 when the hurricane came, we lost power. I, I lost power in my house for 12 days, almost two weeks. And I, I stayed with these friends. And I'll, I'll be honest, when, when the hurricane came and everyone was just like, what do we do? This, this guy had a grin on his face. He was ready. It was go time. He had been training for this. He had been prepared. He had, he had done everything he needed to do so that when the time came, he was ready. And it was like no big deal. There was power at his house. He knew he had heat and water. Everything was okay for him because he had gotten ready. Now, I, I, I've not become a prepper, but one of the things that I found out during that week was that if the ATMs are down because there's no power, you can't get any money. So I'm not going to tell you where this morning, but there is some cash hidden in my house just in case because I want to be ready. And I know that we're not in a hurricane usually around here, but I want to be ready. And the same way we have to be ready for Jesus' return whenever that may be, whenever that might happen. And Jesus speaks about this constantly. I had the privilege of, of talking a while back about uh, the, the parable of, of the sower. But even before that, in Matthew 25, the, there's the parable of the ten virgins. Where, where these, these girls are going to meet this guy, who, uh, the, the groom who wants to get married. And they each go out and they have these, these lamps and they have lamps with oil. 
And when they go out to meet him, it says that five of them brought extra oil and five of them did not. And so they go out and they're waiting for this bridegroom to come and it's in the middle of the night and they all fall asleep and someone finally announces the bridegroom is coming. They all wake up, they go to turn on their lamps and five of them don't have any more oil. And so they have to run back to the store to buy some. And as they go back, they miss the bridegroom that is coming, but the five who were prepared were able to fill their lamps and go in and enter into the, into the wedding. And at the end of, uh, and halfway through Matthew 25, he says, Watch therefore, because you neither nor the day nor the hour. God wants us to stay ready. Right after that, he, he shares the story of the parable of the talents where, where he goes to three different, a master goes to three different people and he gives them each a different amount of talents. The first one he gives 10, the second he gives five, the last one he gives one. He says, when I come back, I want to see what you've done with this money. And the first one goes out and doubles it. The second one goes out and doubles it and they get commended. They're, they're applauded. The third one says, I was worried because I knew that you were someone who deals intensely. I was worried because of, of when you would come back. He says, so out of fear, I took it and I buried it into the ground. Here's your one talent back. And the master who represents Jesus in that moment actually rebukes him. He says, you're slothful, you're lazy. He's like, why did you do nothing with this? You see, the truth is, he probably was waiting for the very last opportunity to go out and do something. And I think the reason we don't know the hour and time of Jesus' return is because if we did, we would probably procrastinate till the 11th hour to wait till the very end to go and do something about it. We live our whole entire lives. And at the end, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Jesus, forgive my sins. Lord, help me to, to, to live for you. So I live for you. You're at the end. God's desire is for us to be on mission for him. We want to stay ready. We want to stay about his mission. We want to stay focused on what he has for us and what he's asking of us. And then as it says in verse 11, he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from heaven will come down the same way in which you saw him go. Verse 8, when it says you'll receive power, verse, nine, verse 11 says that the Christ is coming back. The idea, the central point of all this is the mission of God. The mission that he's asking for us to do. And Jesus has been talking about this mission all along. In Matthew chapter 9, he says that the, to the disciples, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. In 2 Peter, he says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting that any should perish, but that they should come to repentance. You see, God's desire is to accomplish great things. God's desire is for everyone to come into a relationship and knowledge of him. And to that end, he's asking us to go out and do his work. And he's giving us time. He's not telling us when the end date is. He's saying, be ready. Get ready. Stay ready. I want you to go out. I want you to be about my mission. I want you to go out and I want you to proclaim my word. You'll receive power to go out and to be able to do that. And so this whole season... We've been gearing up and gearing up and gearing up, and we reach Christmas, and we think, well, now what? Put the ornaments away? Put the tree down? No, we continue to wait. We continue to be Advent people. In fact, there's, there's a group of people who talk about the second Advent. And they're talking about the second coming of Jesus. And it's our desire that we would become people who look forward to the second advent, that we would actively think about the mission of God, the fact that, that someday he's coming back and someday he's going to come to us and someday he's going to say, well, what have you done for my kingdom? How have you helped? And you'd be able to say, Jesus, this is what I've been doing. Here's what I've been doing in the meantime. Here's how I've been faithful to what you've asked of me. 
You see, when we started this nativity series, Pastor Jeff talked to us about his family and he talked about his wife, Lynn, and, and how she leaves out a couple different nativity scenes throughout the year. I love that. So we have a constant reminder throughout the year that Jesus is coming back. He came one time Christmas many, many years ago, and he's coming back another time. And we want to be ready for his return. I would put out another nativity scene, but I don't own one. I should probably go buy one first and then put that out so that I can live with this expectation, this mindset, this reminder that Jesus is coming back. And I don't want to forget that. My brother does a great job of this. My youngest brother, he always has a heart for the people. He always thinks about people's eternal security. He always thinks about where people will end up, where people are at with their relationship with God. And a long time ago when I was in high school, God taught me a lesson that I never forgot in these terms. You see, there was this event that happens, this still happens to this day, for high school and middle school students called See You at the Pole, where every year in September when school starts back up, they, they reach out to all the different youth pastors and churches, and they advertise this event called See You at the Pole. And on a specific day, a specific hour, all the students can meet one day before school at the flagpole of their school. And they meet there, they can pray for their school, they can get to see other believers, other Christians who are in the school, and hopefully encourage each other and edify before the start of the school year. And I remember one year when I was in high school hearing about this event, I thought it was incredible, I thought it was so cool. And I went back to Italy where I was, going, where I was living and going to high school. I'd spent the summer in the States. And I remember thinking, this is gonna be incredible. I, I wanna do this in my school. And then I quickly realized two big problems. Problem number one is we didn't have flagpoles at our schools in Italy. So it had to be something else, like see you at the front door or you know, see you at the back entrance or see you over by the scooters where everyone parks. But then I realized the truth is, in the school that I go to, the high school that I go to, I don't believe that there's other people who know Jesus. I was going to a high school where, where there's people that had grown up Catholic or they'd grown up with a little bit of knowledge of religion. But for the most part, there was people who didn't have a, a knowledge of a relationship of Jesus. They didn't know that Jesus loved them, that he had been sent to die for their sins. And I thought to myself, Lord, I need to pray for this. I need to pray for more Christians at my school. And I started to pray. And every single day on my way to school, I would pray for this. And Jesus quickly tugged on my heart and said, if you're praying for people to become believers, he goes, maybe there's something that you need to do. Maybe there's a part that you need to play. And so I went out and I started to share my story. I started to talk to people why I love Jesus, why I followed him, why my parents were missionaries, why we were in Italy. And what I soon realized is that what I was speaking on this side and telling people about Jesus, what I was talking, preaching, proclaiming, my lifestyle didn't match up to that. I was a high school boy. I was struggling in school and I would, um, all kinds of stuff. And my life wasn't matching up with what I was preaching. And that's when I got serious about my walk with God. I started waking up early. I started putting my face in this book and reading and reading and trying to understand and asking questions and praying, allowing God to transform my heart and transform my life. So I got to a point where I said, God, I, I wanna do what this says more than what I even want. And God started to change my heart. And as I preached and proclaimed and told other people about him, my lifestyle started to match up with the message that I was speaking. And so for us this morning, we've spent so many weeks talking about Christmas, talking about Advent. And, and, and over the next few weeks, it's normal. We're going to take the decorations down. We're going to put stuff away. And even in church, we'll take the tree down and we'll start talking about New Year. And we'll start talking then about Valentine's Day and Easter and all the things that are coming up. But my hope and desire as we move forward that we would not just forget about Christmas until next December or Thanksgiving or whenever you set up, but as we move forward, that we would be people ready for the second coming of Christ. That we wouldn't be on this, this 
recliner of life waiting for Jesus to come, but that we would be out doing his work, multiplying the talents, ready with the oil, that we would be out proclaiming the good news with the power of the Holy Spirit so that more and more people would come into a walking knowledge and relationship with him. My prayer is that we would be people on mission for God, that we would understand that, man, in order to see people come to know Jesus, we may have to proclaim Jesus to them. In order to see people saved and changed, that we may have to be the person that comes and tells them that. That inspires them and encourages them, invites them to church, leads them through prayer, leads them through Bible study. May we be people that are ready for the second coming, the second advent of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for your scripture, for your word. Father, I'm so thankful for the people in this room. I'm so thankful, Father, for this church. That we are people who desire to see your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that each and every day this year that we would be reminded of your second coming. That we would think about it. That we would meditate on it. Father God, that we would move to action. Lord Jesus, our desire is to see more people come and to walk in relationship with you. Would you use us to do that? We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.